Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 9.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. So this is our final piece of a Lenten series working through people in scripture who help us grow in our love for others. And before we get down to Peter, I'd like to give you a little background into why Peter is always such an interesting character. Because Peter was called from total obscurity. Jesus walked onto the job site in the middle of the day and said to Peter, come with me and I will make you a fisher of men. And Peter said, Okay, and immediately walked, didn't even tender his resignation, just walked off the job into ministry with Jesus Christ. And despite that triumphant entry into ministry, there are so many occasions where you can just picture Jesus face palming with Peter, right? He watches him perform miracle after miracle, speak with the authority and the power of God. And then Peter turns around and goes, You can't die. And Jesus is going, (sighs) missing the point, Peter. And so time and time again, Peter seems to veer a little bit. Let me walk out to you on the water in the middle of the storm. Okay, ooh, this is a little scary. And he sinks. It's time and time again that Peter seems to mess up because Peter is not what Jesus is. And what is Jesus? If we go back to the Nicene Creed, we hear it declared there, We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. It goes on to say that for us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and became truly human. Unlike Peter, Jesus is both 100% human, 100% God. And as my confirmants constantly point out, you can't be 200% unless you're Jesus. And you can if you're Jesus. Somehow, some way, he manages to do that. And then we have Peter, who, like us, is 100% human. And Peter displays that in miraculous ways sometimes. And so, In order for you to understand a little bit of where this sermon is coming from, I want to share with you a memory that came back to me as I was looking at Peter. And that is that when I was growing up, especially as I was transitioning from childhood into my teenage years, once a month, my family would drive from Northern Virginia down to Chesapeake where my grandparents lived, and we would stay with them. And that included going to worship with them, and they were members of a little Southern Baptist church. And so we would go, and my grandparents were deeply immersed in the culture of that church. My grandmother had been their treasurer for many, many years. My grandfather had been named a deacon in in that congregation. And whatever it was that he did to be a deacon, I have no idea. Um, But they were very involved. And so every Sunday we would go and stay at a longer than 
what I was used to, worship service, and sing songs sometimes five times through, and have altar calls and get acquainted with that. And then we would always go to Sunday school. And Sunday school was a little different also from what I was used to in the Methodist church. Um, and my parents always made us go. I know, you know, that we live in a day and age where parents don't make kids do things like my parents did. Um, but my parents made us go. And I was like, we don't even go to this church. Like, why do I have to go to Sunday school? But we went, and it consisted mostly of us, especially in our teenage years, sitting around a table and having an adult read to us. And so as the adult was doing this, I was trying not to look bored. And so I would doodle so I could stay focused. And so, you know, I would kind of have my Bible and I'm kind of like doodling over here, like very much on the down low, doodling. Uh, it looked like I was taking notes. Um, so if you're a doodler, you don't have any problem for me. I completely understand, and I would probably be doodling if I wasn't preaching either. So be, be free to do what you do. And so as this, this person was reading, he was reading about the part where Jesus had walked up to Peter and Andrew and James and John, says Zebedee, and was asking them to follow him into ministry. And he's reading it, and he put the emphasis on a weird place so that he didn't say fisher of men. He said fish or men. And I was like, what? Why would I want to be a fish or a man? I'm kind of playing out this girl thing. I don't really want to see where that goes yet. I hadn't yet discovered, you know, the, the, the incredible dichotomy between what men's shoe sections look like and women's. And so I was not ready to just give that, that um, incredible foray into women's footwear. So instead, I started drawing what would it be if you could choose to be a fish or a man? And so I started drawing a merman. And the guy beside me was like, what are you doing? I'm like, shh. Right? Because I'm just, we're going to play this out. Let's see if, you know, if it's Peter. Um, and, and so let's see what he would look like if he was half fish. And so my first one looked like a merman. And my second one looked ridiculous because it had like a fish upper half and a man bottom. It was probably not appropriate for a church audience. But it was hysterical. So I want you to realize, though, that one of the things that has stayed with me is that mer people are this incredible fictionalized account of being the combination of two different things, right? They're both the catch and the catcher. They are bridging. They are both those who are free to explore the depths of the ocean and the chaos that is this world, and yet they are also those who are called to bring things together and create order out of the chaos, right? That's what's so cool about mermaids. And so as I watch this, I always think about Jesus being like, come and be a fish or a man or a merman, whatever floats your boat. And so they go into this ministry deciding to transcend what they are. They were the fish that now have become the catcher. And that's what Jesus is calling us to do is to transcend these borders, right? These barriers and bridge these gaps. We are here because we are both sinners and saints. We know what it is like to be in total depravity. And yet we've also caught a glimpse of this thing called grace. And so we are bridging that in our own being. We are not God and we will never be God, but more and more as we stay immersed in what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, we discover that we are able to reflect to the world what it means to be in God's love, that we can be vessels of God's goodness and grace and that we can share the love that we have first received. We can be conduits of that even as we continue day by day to yearn and need that love. And that grace, we are both and 
we are an incredible group of people who would probably not school together if we were all the same fish, right? We are from different walks of life. And yet, because of the unity of Jesus Christ, we are able to come together and not only endure each other's presence for a good hour, but we can actually come together and be transformed, be edified and encouraged and strengthened to do the work ahead. And that is what our scripture today is about. What is the work that we are called to do? And here we have, um, as I was joking around with Linda this week, whoever wrote the book of Acts clearly had a redemptive Peter imagery because Peter nails this one. Peter gets this one just right. And so Peter and John are going into the temple and they're going in in the afternoon for the evening prayer session because Um, Exodus and Leviticus tell us that every day the priesthood was to offer a morning and an evening sacrifice of a lamb and that that was an hour of prayer each day. And so they were continuing their Jewish roots. They were still going into the temple. This is not before the early Christians were kind of expelled from the temple and had to start and do their own thing. They were going back to what they knew. And as they go into the temple, there is a man who's been disabled from birth and his friends are bringing him to lay him at this gate that's known as the beautiful gate. And as they lay him down at this gate, this is where he would each day beg for money and he would ask for alms because his disability was an impediment to his being able to work and there was no social net no social structure that would support him if he didn't beg and get money out of the kindness of strangers then he would go hungry and he would eventually starve and die and as he's there he's getting ready to do his work just so he could eat enough to continue one more day and they lay him down at the gate and like most people who are coming in for evening prayer they might be cognizant of the fact that he's there, but they have the opportunity to not see him. They have this moment where you can choose to ignore. You know what I'm talking about? Like when you're in Charlottesville and you pull up at a stoplight and there's a median and you're very aware that there's a gentleman standing there with a sign who wants something, probably in the form of cash and is holding the sign and you can decide Not to make eye contact, you can get busy over in the passenger seat, you can do or you can engage, right? You have this moment of opportunity and Peter embraces it and he does this in a very specific way. The text says that Peter looked intently at him. He looked at him. He not only saw him, he looked at him and took notice. And as he did this, he says to him, look at us. Look back at me. See me seeing you. And then after he fixes his attention on them, after the disabled man looks at Peter and John, Peter confesses to him, I have no silver or gold. I don't have what it is that you want. You are here asking for this and I have none. But he doesn't stop there. Just as I almost never have cash, and that would be my response if somebody asked for money, he doesn't stop. Instead, he says, but what I have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. And we don't have that. I don't have that. If you have that, we need to talk after church. I can't do that. But imagine if we could. Imagine if we could say to somebody, stand up and walk in the name of Jesus Christ. 
What an incredible moment that would be if we could heal somebody with just our words, our adoration of Jesus Christ and our acknowledgement that he is our Lord and our Savior, and they could walk. And not just walk, but someone who has never been able to walk, who has been disabled from birth, being truly healed. If we could only do that. And so many of us will go, well, this clearly isn't about me because I can't do that. Right? This is, this is where the Bible has just gone way off in, in left field. We're just going to hang out over here on home base because I don't know what's going on. But he takes him by the right hand and he raised him up. He reaches down and he takes his hand and in a moment of intimacy and physical contact, Peter raises this man up, lifts him up out of the depths of his disability, out of his otherness, out of his relegation to not coming into the temple to worship, but sitting merely at the gates, having to wait for the kindness of others rather than getting to be a vessel of God's grace and goodness and kindness for others. He raises him up and it says that Immediately, his feet and his ankles were made strong. He jumps up, he stands, and he begins to walk for the first time in his life. A miracle, a true miracle has happened. And he begins to walk and he's praising God because they said the name, Jesus Christ. And he's praising the Lord for this. And everybody starts to look at it and go, what in the world is happening? Isn't this the guy that used to lay over here? Isn't this the guy that used to beg us as we came in? You know, it was the pretty gate. And then, you know, this guy started laying here. It's all of a sudden that the world has been turned on its head. And we are called to nothing less. Nothing less. We are called to one of two ministries every day of our lives. Ministries of triage and ministries of transformation. We can engage in triage. And that is to treat the symptom. You are hungry. Here's $20. You need help. Let me call and get you into a shelter. You are hurt. Let me pay for your medical bill. Those are ministries of triage. And they are vital and they are necessary. They cannot be the end. We cannot stop there. Paul and Peter and all of the apostles, one by one, show us that we are called to something much more deep and profound. We are called to raise people up. We are called to address the very depth and the origin of that which requires the triage. He looks at this man and he realizes what the problem is. The problem isn't that he's too dirty and nobody wants to get near him. The problem isn't that he's at this gate and he should be at the other gate or that his sign isn't humorous enough. And if he had a better sign, then maybe people would give him money. The problem is not that he couldn't go see a good doctor, so we'll take him to another doctor. The problem is that he has been sick, that he has been disabled from birth. And Peter looks at him, sees this, and takes action. He decides that he will not let him languish here at this gate day after day. He decides that no longer will he just be the lame man at the beautiful gate. He decides that he will change the entire world in which this man has come to reside. He will take his hand and he will raise him up. And in that act, he transforms the world around him. He decides to treat the sickness, and not just the symptoms. We 
are called to this very same power in the church. We are called not to just treat the symptoms of poverty and sickness and hatred and prejudice. We are called to look and say, how can we change this forever? Forever. How do we change it? And as one individual Christian, it's overwhelming. And that's why we exist in the body of Christ. Because together, we can do this thing called change. We were not meant to be individual Christians colliding with each other every now and again when we pass the peace for an hour on Sunday morning. We were called to be living in community, at work for the community, that things might be different, that things might reflect the kingdom of God. And so when we reflect on our own holiness, that day by day and bit by bit, God is perfecting these hearts to look more and more like Jesus Christ, we don't stop there. God is transforming who we are, that we might transform, that we can change others, that we can change this society. This used to be a phrase in the church called social justice, and now it's been mingled with political extemporaneous ties. And so let me slough off that term. Let me not use social justice. Let me use the term that John Wesley would have used, social holiness. That a society filled with Christians who are being the reflection of the holy, that are vessels of the holiness of Jesus Christ, that society should be impacted by that truth. That if we are those who have been given the power of the Holy Spirit, if we have been liberated from our sin and eternal death, then shouldn't we in turn forgive and liberate? Aren't we those who are called by the various professions that we hold, by the places in our society and our community where we have voice and vote, where we are able to make change, where we are able to open up space to have conversations and turn hearts and minds, that we should do this because our holiness is nothing if we don't share it. And so social holiness is the thrust of the gospel. It's a gospel for all people, not just those who think and worship like us. It's for everyone. And John Wesley had a brilliant epiphany one day where he realized that you can't talk to people about their hearts in Jesus Christ if their stomachs are growling. They can't hear you over the hunger and so he started to address hunger at Oxford. And day by day and little by little, others joined him and they fed the hungry and they opened up a pharmacy so that people could get the medicine that they needed. They opened up a soup kitchen so that people could be fed. They started to change the way things were. They started to address the systemic institutionalized issues. And that is who we are, brothers and sisters. We are not the people that just hope we can feed you enough to get you through the night. We are people who will feed you now and work on this problem. We will start working on it, whether it is through our prayer or our advocacy, whether it is through changing how we act and how we engage, or whether it is using our power and our influence to exact change upon not only Crozet, 
but this world. This is what Peter is showing us. He reaches down into the depths of utter despair. And he takes hold of this man and he raises him up to stand on the same foundation of Jesus Christ that Peter was. He is doing what Jesus did for him literally in the stormy night when they all thought they were dying. They see Jesus walking on the water and Peter says, call me to you and I will walk on the water. And he starts And he gets afraid, and he starts to fall under. And before he fails and drowns, Jesus reaches down and pulls him back up. If that isn't a metaphor for who we are called to be, I don't know what is. But if we are afraid, then we will sink. If we say to ourselves, we can't do it, then 11 out of 12 of us are going to stay in the boat. And the people that need to be saved from drowning and sin and death and all of the suffering of this world aren't in the boat. They're in the chaos of the water. The waves are threatening to overwhelm them. We can't sit here in the luxury of our personal safety and think that this is what Jesus Christ would have us do. He came to them on the water. And he calls us to nothing less than to going out to those who have been pushed away, relegated to the gates. And he tells us to make the paths wide for them and to help them, to hold their hand, to lift them up, to encourage them, to give what we have. You may find yourself like me. I have no silver or gold, but what I have is yours. What I have is yours by the powerful name of Jesus Christ. And if that isn't our response, when we see need, then we are profaning the cross. We are profaning the one who looked at us in our depths of despair, of sin and darkness and eternal death and said, I will take it all for you, that you may be free. And as I've, as have I liberated you, so too must you liberate. And as I have transformed you, so too must you transform others. Our job is only just beginning. And as we talk about Rise Against Hunger, we are going to triage 25,000 meals. And then we're going to figure out what we have to do to make it so that every year we don't have to triage 25,000 more meals. We're going to figure out what we have to do so that people can finally, like the man at the gate, have strength in their bones and in their being and stand up and take their rightful place in the kingdom of God. That is our purpose. And Peter nailed it that day. It's time that we took our place and we did it right for Jesus. May it be so. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful, and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org. 
to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.